Thank you for having me back. Um, so I was thinking through what, um, what I was going to do this week when I was going to preach over, and um, I sat down with Psalm 32, and I was about to read my first commentary, and then um, I started thinking back to about a year and a half ago whenever Adam first invited me to preach. Uh, I didn't get to because it iced over that night, and um, you guys had to cancel your service. And uh, that night, he had asked me to kind of um, share some of the stuff that me and uh, my family had been going through because I had been talking to him a lot on the phone about it, uh, complaining slash talking. And um, so anyway, I, you know, something I just sat down, and as I was about to prepare, I thought, you know what, I, I never got to share that with them, and I just kind of feel like that's what the Lord has for us tonight. So... Um, we're going to look at a passage from Romans 8 here in a little bit, but first I'd like to kind of share with you guys um, a journey that me and Stephanie have been on uh, for the past few years since we left Providence, okay? So um, her and I have felt called to some kind of vocational ministry, although we've not known exactly what that'll look like and still don't, uh, for a, quite a while. And so... Um, you know, what, 10 years ago or something, we decided to move up here to the Metroplex and go to a Bible college and kind of get a degree and figure out what, you know, you know get some kind of an education to do something. So um, a couple years into that degree, we really, um, you know, as you're like studying the New Testament and looking at like the church and what Jesus talks about his kingdom and stuff, um, we we're just like kind of, I don't know, taken back, and I remember us having conversations like, hey, you know, the town that we're from, which is Mineola out in East Texas, where we live now, is where we're originally from, just a little bitty town of like 4,000 people, and um, something that kind of struck us was, you know, they don't really have this stuff that we see in the New Testament, like the, the stuff, like the, the, the beauty that is the church and the kingdom itself, like, I don't really see that being manifested a lot in this way in, in Mineola, and so we started, you know, kind of like thinking like, should we go back there at some point and be in ministry of some kind? And so this was just a little spark, and this was years ago. And so we kind of just sat on it and prayed for a while, and, you know, just, I mean, we didn't know what was going to happen. It wasn't like a thing. So uh, we were part of this church for about six years, and then um, we got done with school, and I did an internship here, and then I was a mission community leader for a while, and so we kind of kept feeling like it wasn't time to move back. We need to stay here. And so uh, about three years ago this past April, it was all of a sudden we just kind of felt like, hey, I think the Lord has accomplished what he decided to accomplish with us in the Metroplex, and I think we need to move back. Not necessarily to plant a church, we're just going to kind of go and pray and be on mission and just see what that looks like. So that was three years ago we moved, and um, I spent six or seven months just kind of like being with the Lord because I had had this, you know, um, I, I kind of had a time of depression before we left, and I was just coming out of it, and so... Um, I really needed some time to just recuperate spiritually, and the Lord was really good to, to me in that time. And, um, you know, I remember all during this, this time period, this was 2013, I remember just praying over and over, Lord, would you plant a church here in this town in Mineola and just grant it to me and Stephanie to be a part of it? And, because you know, I'm, I, I just didn't feel like, you know, doing the whole, like, hey, we're going to do a church and getting support and all this. I just didn't feel like that was the thing. So, for us, at least, you know. And so I kind of just said, Lord, if there's going to be a church, you're just going to plant it, and I'll watch you do it, you know. So, um, so uh, ba uh, fast forward six or seven months, we get to December of 2013. Um, there's a man uh, named Shane in Mineola that um, I had kind of just randomly talked to over the I've known him for a long time, and I kind of just been randomly talking to him here and there. And I, 
even kind of made a comment, you know, way back when I was in the internship here, you know, I think me and Shane may plant a church one day. It was just kind of one of those things. It seemed like I, I saw the Lord doing some things in him um, that the Lord was doing in me, even though Shane has lived out in East Texas all of his life and he was trying to rethink church, even though he'd never really seen church done in a different way than East Texas and all this stuff. And so um, we kind of, we moved out there and sure enough, we ran into Shane just randomly. And so we kind of got to talking and we had just started doing some ministry at a church together, like just started. And he calls me up. It was a Thursday. And uh, he says, he says, hey, man, you know, hey, what's up? And uh, we, I've got some guys that are kind of have been burned by the church. And they've been um, kind of just talking to me saying, you know, if, if you happen to ever want to do a Bible study or something, we'd love to be a part of that. And we kept talking, and I think both of us were sitting there wanting to say it, but neither one of us would, like, come out with it. So finally, I just go, man, why don't we just plant a church, you know? And he goes, that's exactly what I was thinking, you know? And so that was Thursday, and then uh, I said, okay, well, I'm going duck hunting, so I'll call you about this tomorrow. And so I called him back the next day, and then I said, you know, yeah, man, so that's kind of crazy. Let's spend, I said, man, let's, let's, take, and let's take a few weeks and we'll just pray about this, and we'll just let's spend some time together and pray, and we'll just listen to the Lord and just see what He has. And He goes, um, "Okay, that sounds like a good job, but uh, I actually already rented out a space uh, for us to meet this Sunday." So <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll just plant a church then, you know, whatever." So I mean, we already have the space, you know. And so, <laughs> this is Friday after the Thursday that we first talked about it, and then so Saturday, he says, uh, "He says you want to come see the space we're going to meet in." I'm like, "Okay," and so. And this is where it gets kind of glorious. And so it's, it's a shooting range way out in the middle of the country called Turkey Hill Shooting Range, right? But they happen to have a little metal building that they teach concealed handgun classes in, okay? <laughs> okay? And which is perfect for me because, you know, you want a really good church planter story. Like, you don't want to, like, meet in this place the first time, you know? You want somewhere that's just ridiculous, you know? And this was pretty ridiculous. So, so it's perfect, you know? So we go out there, and it's, of course, tiny, uh, you know, but it has AC and heat, and there's, you know, four walls, so we're good to go. And so we kind of sit down, and, and, you know, I mean, like I said, this is all just by the seat of our pants. And so I was like, okay, so what's my role in this church, you know? And he's like, he's like well, I don't know, you should be a pastor or something, you know? And so I was like, okay, you know? And so, and knowing that we need some more clarity, so I kind of said, okay, well, here's my view on pastoring. And so, you know, we kind of like tried to, within like an hour, just, you know, I said, man, I view, I view pastors as just kind of being co-equal, and they just sort of lead the church and stuff. He goes, oh, that's my view, too. Okay, cool. I guess we're both pastors then. So um, see you tomorrow morning for our first service. You know? <laughs> like, oh, man, I didn't realize how ridiculous it was that I just told you guys this whole – I mean, like, that is kind of insane. But anyway, uh, and I'm sparing you a lot of details, but, man, so, um, so yeah, so we met the next morning, and there was about – like 30 people. And, and, and just so you know, I don't care about numbers. I'm just trying to give you, you know, I don't think your church is necessarily successful if you have numbers and not if it doesn't or whatever. I'm just trying to give you an idea of what it looked like. But, you know, we have this little room. We set up a bunch of tables with chairs and like 30-something people showed up. And we had like, you know, of course, no children's ministry or anything. We had a bunch of kids, though. And so we had just a table with coloring books. And uh, I remember uh, we didn't have a sermon that morning. We just kind of said, hey, you know, y'all want to plant a church? And everybody's like, okay, you know. And so so we'll see you next week, and we'll do like a service or something, you know. And so that was kind of it. And so they sh- so like almost everybody showed up the next week. I was like, oh, sweet, okay. So me and him just started trading back and forth, you know, uh, preaching. We didn't have a podium. I actually slid this trash can over. It had a lid. I set my Bible on top of it, and I was like, this is getting more glorious by the minute, you know, because uh, now I get to tell you that, you know. So uh, that's the kind of story I was looking for. So 
we met for the next four, five, six weeks in this building, and people just kept coming. And, you know, you lose a few, few people, you get a few people. But the main thing, it was like way out in the middle of nowhere. And so, I mean, like, it was kind of, I couldn't believe anyone drove out to where it was. And so, the, the other obstacle, which you always have to have obstacles in a good church planting story. So, um, about 50 feet out the front door was one of the shotgun ranges. And then to the left, about 30 feet, was another type of shotgun range. And then the rifle range was like 50 feet this way. So, if anyone was going to be shooting, it was just going to be so loud and sound there. And not to mention, I mean, that's kind of freaky to just hear gunshots while you're preaching and stuff. So, but it, thankfully it was December. We met December 8th was the first time. So, um, so it was cold and people weren't out most of the time. So um, we decided we got to find another place, obviously, something that's hopefully more central and not a shooting range. And um, so I went downtown. And I'm not just sharing with you superfluous details at the moment. I, I'm sharing this with you because it's kind of kind of starts to build as we're seeing the Lord do this. Because, you know, when you first meet as a church, you're just kind of like, are we planning a church? You know, I mean, I don't care how much you prepare. That's kind of what it feels like the first time. It's like, are we really, like, for real? You know, and then you keep meeting, and then you're like, oh, I guess we are. And then things start to happen. Like, as you watch the Lord start to, like, do things, you start becoming convinced that you're maybe actually doing it. You know, and so this is what just kept happening. So my wife just kind of randomly said, hey, why don't you check with that coffee shop downtown? They've got a little room. It was a there was a coffee shop downtown, Minnie right in the middle of town, and it was in, in this like 100-year-old hotel. It was like an old railroad hotel from the early 1900s. But one side of the bottom of it was like a coffee shop. The other side was like a meeting room you can rent out. So I just happened to roll up in there and said, hey, you know, I have a church, and, you know, we'd love to meet in this room. Would you rent it out to us? And this lady like burst into, like, obviously she'd been holding this back for a long time, how the church had burned her and, and people had hurt her and done all this stuff. It was like a good thing, though. It was like very, you could tell it was like therapeutic for her. I mean, I don't think I said anything. I'd love to think I encouraged her in some way. I don't think I said anything the whole time. It was like two hours, and she's walking me through the room, like, supposedly showing me the room. I mean, it was really easy to see, but really she was just like pouring out. And so at the end of this, you know, I was just like, okay, cool. So can we rent the room? You know, and she's like, She's like, yeah, if you just come down here every once in a while and let me talk your ears off, I'll give it to you for 50 bucks a month. And I'm like, okay, you know, all right, sweet. And so I'm like, yeah, the Lord is in this thing. You know, so I, I, I noticed that I just, I like, I start really getting into this at this point because I'm just like, the Lord is all over this. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, you know, when you start watching the Lord's hand move, I mean, it's when you just start getting excited. And you're like, I guess we're actually planning a church. This think this might be a thing, you know? So it gets better. So um, this room is perfect. It's, you know, it has tons of room. Uh, for us to be in. It has chairs for us to set up for people to, you know, sit in. Uh, it has a little stage and some speakers, and not only that, um, in the back is two rooms for us to do children's ministry in that are, like, separated from the first room. So, could not be any more perfect. And um, so, I think it was about a week later or so, you know, we're about to meet in this new awesome space. It was Saturday night. I remember it was 7.30 p.m., and me and uh, my family were out to eat, and I just, I just thought in my mind randomly, hey, I ought to text that lady, just make sure she's going to be there to open it for us in the morning. She could have forgotten, you know, I just want to make sure. So I text her and she, uh, she texts back pretty quickly and says, oh, so sorry, I can't open it for you in the morning. I don't work for that coffee shop anymore. And I said, oh, okay, sweet. And so what happens now is there's like, it's like a double reaction because when you're church planting, there's like halfway, you know, obviously panicking. We need a place to meet. What are we going to do? It's 7.30 Saturday night. I cannot believe this is happening. But then like the other half is like, this is so church planting, you know, like, yes, like this has to happen. It's, it's as the prophecy foretold, this is what's going down, you know? So, and I mean, it's like a halfway smile. And so anyway, I call around like everywhere 
And I happened to find this guy who rents out an office in the back of this building. He says, yeah, sure, I'll let you in. No problem. Okay, crisis averted. And again, it's just like, oh, we're, we're bulletproof. The Lord is all over this. You know, I don't care what I We're going to go through with this thing. So we meet in the space. It's awesome. The space is awesome. Everybody loves that we got a space. You know, everybody's, you know, it kind of just gets this like hype going. You know, everybody's like, oh, we're planting a church. And then you get a new space. I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, so it's like there's like an energy, you know. And this energy just like keeps building. I mean, every week for the next few months, we've got more people coming, you know, and there was one time, you know, and I, I'm kind of ashamed of this, but I was sitting back there trying to count. I couldn't get an exact number. Somewhere around 40 adults and 20-something kids, but who's counting? You know, so, like, uh, I remember pulling every chair out, you know, that we had in the place, and I was just, it was like, it felt like an ocean of people, you know. I felt like I was at a much larger church than I was at, but I was, like, it's so hyped, you know. And I remember looking, there was, like, chairs everywhere and people, and there was, like, a couch randomly in the back because that's the kind of room it was. And so there are people on the couch, people on the floor. I was just like... We are so in this thing. Like, then we, I mean, I'm just like blown away. There were kids all over the place. It was loud. It was, it was terrible, but awesome, you know. And, and I remember just looking out and I was taking pictures and I was just getting so hyped. And this just kept on. I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, we've got 60, 70 people in this thing. We've been meeting for like a couple months. I mean, what the heck? And so I'm already pulling out the, you know, me and my wife years ago knew the Lord would do this and here it is, you know, and I'm doing all that stuff because that's how I felt. I was like, man, we've been thinking about planting a church for years and then. I'm sitting here watching this materialize, you know, and I mean, it's awesome because I was thinking about this today. When you get to do something like that, any kind of ministry or something like this, it's kind of, you know, it's like Moses, Moses didn't part the Red Sea. He never gets to like take credit for that, but he's the dude who held the staff and got to watch the Red Sea get parted, you know, and that's kind of how it feels like whenever you're in some kind of a situation like this, everything that keeps happening, you just, you're like, I get to hold the staff, you know, the Lord's going to do it, but I get to be right here and watch this stuff, and that's how it feels, and you just get like, it's like a church planter high, I mean, you just get like so over the moon, I mean, it is really crazy, it's so much work, it's not easy, you're doing stuff, you're meeting with people constantly, and you're doing all this madness, and you're losing your mind, but at the same time, you're just like, it's like a happy psychosis, you know, you're like really, really excited, and so um, it gets a little better, so anyway, Monday, since we had kind of hijacked this place, the owner of the building didn't even know we met there Sunday, so I figured I might want to call him and work out a deal. So I call him and say, hey, we met in your space. You don't know me, but, you know, uh, we had a deal with your old manager, and he, he said, yeah, no problem. We'll work out a deal, whatever. So we were able to keep the space, but then I said, so apparently you need a coffee shop manager, right? And so he said, yeah, you the man for the job? And I said, yeah, I work at Starbucks, blah, blah, blah. So within a 30-minute conversation, he had hired me on to be the manager of this coffee shop. So the reason this is awesome is for several reasons. One, it was a pay increase, somewhat. Um, two, I'm not driving uh, 30 minutes to my current job at Starbucks and Tyler. And three, now I'm going to be sitting in this coffee shop every day as who knows how many people from Mineola come through, and I can have conversations about Jesus and the kingdom and then go, oh, and by the way, my church meets right over here. And it, I was just like, I was like blown away. We were like, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to tell everybody in my church they have to come down here and hang out at the coffee shop and just like talk to people and be on mission. You know, I like this whole vision worked out of how this thing was going down. And I just, it was just thing after thing after thing. I just watched the Lord just work out in what looked like just a perfect way to me. You know, it was, it was a really, really insanely exciting time. So um, we kept moving and we kept going and we kept, uh, gaining people from somewhere. You lose some people, you get some people. And we got to April, and, and we still had just, you know, tons of momentum. And we got to May, we got to June, and things turned really quickly 
in this situation. So this is June of 2014. The, the high was gone very quickly at this point. So let me tell you some of the things that had kind of changed. So by the time we hit late June, everyone who was there in the beginning, in that little Turkey Hill shooting room, was gone except for my family and my in-laws, including the other pastor. Not because he had any issue, but he actually had gotten a job that had him traveling all over, literally all over the country. I'd call him one day, he'd be in Wisconsin, the next day he'd be in Atlanta. And um, so he just like wasn't ever in town to even come to our services. So he was just gone. And so he just couldn't be there anymore. So I took on pretty much all the responsibilities of the church, pastoral, you know, stuff. So um, to give you kind of an idea of my, my work week, because of course I'm not supported in any way by this church, I'm managing a coffee shop, which actually means that I do everything because I'm the only employee. It's a tiny little, like almost about to go out of business coffee shop. They paid me every week though, so it's good. And so, um, I get there in the morning, and I prep everything, and I stay all day, and then I, you know, clean everything up at night, and then we were too poor to have a distributor come and give us stuff, so I have to go and drive and get it from places. Um, on top of that, we live in, at this point in, um, in a house that's owned by my family that we had been trading rent for by doing, you know, uh, some yard work on, like, there was like several acres of land I had to keep up with every week, and so it was like we didn't have to pay rent, but I could do this work, and then on top of that, I also work another job doing uh, balloon animals, as funny as that sounds, uh, at Rainforest Cafe in Grapevine Mills. I've done that for years. It's been just a supplement to our income. And it was summertime, so I was doing that even more. I was doing that two days a week. So, I mean, you're talking about I get up on Monday, I head to Rainforest, I work there all day, I get home, I get a few hours of sleep, I get up, I open up the coffee shop, I work all day, I come home, say hi kids, bye kids, and then go back and prepare sermons for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's what that looks like. Friday, I get up and open the coffee shop up, and then I head back to Grapevine and work that night, and then I get a few hours of sleep. I get up the next day, I open up the coffee shop again, I prepare, you know, finish off preparing my sermon, I preach the next morning, and, you know, whatever, whoever wants to meet or whatever, you know, that day, and then I get a few hours off on Sunday, and then it's back to it Monday, and I just did this for a while. So obviously this was way too much, like I obviously took, you know, I don't blame anyone for me having that much stuff, I took way too much stuff on myself. But there's something about being in the midst of like a church plant. Like I just described to you like this super high that we were on. It's really, really difficult to at some point go, oh, I don't think I should be doing this. Whenever just a couple of months ago, there was like all this excitement, energy. You just sit there going, no, no, it's fine. The Lord is in this. He's going to bring people back and he's going to, you know, he's going he's gonna to do this. He's, you know, obviously I need to keep trucking. It's going to be okay. And so we, we ended up getting a new group of people, totally new people that we hadn't had previously, all in the month of June. And actually, it was all relationships that I had built through the coffee shop. So that was kind of cool. Um, it was like eight or nine people or something. And so June, July, August, come and go. And by the end of August, because the summer was particularly busy for me, I was just getting totally spent. And you have to understand, um, I don't know how many of you understand this, but when you work a regular job, you know, whenever you work whatever it is that you do, you know, um, there's a physical and an emotional exhaustion that comes along with working like any job, especially if it's like a really tense job that's really emotionally exhausting or whatever. So um, there's a third aspect to pastoral ministry, and it's the spiritual aspect that a lot of people don't realize. When you're preaching every week, and now you're the only one preaching, and you're meeting with people, especially in a church planner scenario, because People want to 
hear what you're about, and they're like, you, you want to be my pastor? Well, let's sit down, and you can try to convince me that you're a trustworthy person. You know, it's, I mean, it's an, that's a normal thing to, you know, that people want to get to know you and stuff. And then, uh, and it's also kind of weird because it's like, imagine opening a restaurant, but no actual, you know, like normal customers come in. It's all food critics all the time, you know, and everyone who's an expert at doing church, you know, and so it's amazing how many people are, are actually experts at church. Um, I didn't know we had so many, but um, man, it's, and so you're, you've got a steady flow of critique and criticism and sometimes just downright discouragement. Sometimes it's just blasts, you know, out of anger. Sometimes it's like, sometimes it's just, you know, we're leaving and never coming back and we left really quickly, so obviously we really didn't like it or whatever, you know. Or the more confusing, you know, we loved it, this was so great, and then you never see them again, you don't know what's going on, you know. It's really just a topsy-turvy, crazy thing whenever you're, like, trying to do something like this. And in the midst of, you know, I would work 60, 70 hours a week before I even sat down to prepare a sermon or meet with somebody or receive that discouragement that they had been saving for me, you know. And so... It's a, I'm telling you, it is, this was the crazy experience, craziest experience of my life by far. And so by, by the time we hit August, in my mind, I was sitting there going, we have to stop this. This is ridiculous. I don't see my kids. I don't see anyone. I, and most importantly, I don't see Jesus. Like, like I, I have no time. Like, there's something that's taken from you as you minister. It just flows out of you. Like, it, it, it leaves something spiritually. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the thing is, you have, to, you have to spend so much time with the Lord and let him pour it back into you. And if you don't have the time to sit with the Lord, then you just keep pouring yourself out until there's no more. And that's the stuff that that burnout is made of. Like pastor burnout is that. It's when you've poured everything out and there's nothing left and you don't have any time for Jesus to replenish it. And I think I was, I was, like, I was like starting the road to that in August of 2014. So, so obviously what I needed to do was hunker down and keep going. So that's what we did. So I just, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May to June the next year, I just kept going. And I just kept like, I remember just praying like, Lord, just send someone, you know, like send another pastor person, someone who can read a Bible or something. I'll just let them preach. I don't care. Just someone, you know, like to do something, you know, some kind of relief or, hey, better yet, why don't you just blow up this church like into like a whole bunch of people and then I'll go full time. What about that, Jesus? You know, like all these different ideas I'm having and I'm praying for and I'm just thinking, you know, that's awesome. And, and it's just, I can't explain the difficulty in like letting something like that go. You just can't. So you just keep like just desecrating yourself. You're just like destroying yourself emotionally and physically and spiritually. And so the truth is relief just never came. It never came. And so it just kept getting worse and worse. And by the time we hit June, um, you know, I think back on, I think back on probably like the most discouraging one night. I can even, if you asked me what it is, you know, I could tell you right off. Someone called me up. This was earlier, it wasn't in June, but he called me up and he said, um, it's kind of, it's crazy if, when people call you up and they have no nothing invested in your church and you don't know them and you don't care what their opinion is they can call you up and say you know hey you're a clown whatever you know and you don't care and you I mean you, you're just like okay I mean I care that you have an opinion and I hope you find a good church but I'm not gonna you know be destroyed over this it's the worst when someone calls you up who you respect their opinion and you care what they think and not only that you trust them to be like a bro, like a loving brother to you right this particular person called me up, and for an hour and a half, we had a conversation in which, uh, and obviously, it was two years ago, I don't know exactly what was said, don't take this verbatim, but this is kind of the gist that I got, and this is kind of what I heard and received. It was sort of, 
this church is going to fail, Colt. I've called to tell you this, and, and you are the reason it's failing. The pe- people are not showing up. It's because of you, and it's because you preach too long, and you just say the same thing over and over, and uh, your philosophies on ministry are terrible, and I think that you should have changed them long ago. And uh, You know, the thing is, man, I, I've been waiting on you to recognize your failure. I've been waiting and holding back, and I've been watching you, and, and you keep failing, and I keep thinking that you're going to recognize it and make a change, but you never do. And so I'm having to call you and tell you how bad you're failing, you know. So, and that was the gist of the conversation. And so um, I share that with you because, I mean, that's just one example of kind of like what it looks like to just, you know, be on a platform. I mean, even, now, you know, how vulnerable is this? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you have to think about this. This is just a side note, by the way, just parenthetical, you know, hang on, parentheses, you can really destroy people with your words, particularly your pastor, just so you know, especially because like ministerial positions don't really come with a lot of encouragement. Like it's awesome when people are coming and, you know, things are happening, all that. Then it's just sort of a natural encouragement. People don't have to say anything, but when people stop coming or whatever's going on, there's like no encouragement and all critique. And then every once in a while you get like this person who called me up. He had obviously been sitting on this and had gotten to where he was just about to boil over and then called me mad and then just blew up all over me. And like I said, it was someone I respected their opinion. So it just pretty much destroyed me. And I remember just walking inside the house and I told Stephanie what just happened. I remember I just sat down. And I was just like, I'm not even sure how to process this. Like I've never experienced something like this, like, like a ministry time. I mean, you know, you have issues in your life, people die and stuff. You I mean, you experience intense emotions, but there's something about this particular thing where I'm like getting up on this stage every day or every week and pouring myself out and then what I get is, like, people calling me and, like, telling me that everything I do is terrible. You know, like, what an interesting way to live that I've chosen for myself. I mean, and so, anyway, I share this with you. Uh, I'm not just here to complain or gripe or moan. Um, the reason I share this with you is because I would say the worst part about it, because I've shared a lot of bad things with you. I've, I've been very raw and real, and that's the point of this, okay? So, I would say the worst thing that happened by far is somewhere along that divide of that, you know, that first five months of awesomeness, followed by the next year of, of crazy horribleness, somewhere along in that next year, it felt as if the Lord had just taken off. And to tell you the truth, I'll take a dude calling me and blasting me every day over this feeling. Because it is... Man, it's, it is really crazy to me. I mean, one minute you're holding the staff and you're watching the Red Sea part, and the next minute you're going, where did the Lord go? He was just right back there. He was parting the sea, and has anybody seen him? Yeah, he's got, you know, it's just this feeling like you have, like, you know, instead of waking up every morning going, what are you going to do today, Lord? I've been watching this amazing stuff. You wake up and you go, where did Jesus go? He's, like, not present anymore. Because you look at your situation and you go, there's some intense suffering going on here. I'm not thinking Jesus has anything to do with this. I'm thinking he's left. Matter of fact, maybe the suffering has been so bad, it made him leave. Maybe I've done something. Maybe, I, maybe we went all about this wrong. Maybe somewhere I just ticked him. I don't know. But like for, for like the whole time we were planning the church, as well as several months after we finally ended, you know, 
in June of last year, it's been a year, we finally got together and I told everybody, I said, I love you guys. This is, you know, there have been aspects of this that have been awesome, but I can't do this anymore. My family's just going to collapse. We can't meet anymore. So we just quit meeting. It was like kind of, you know, just, I mean, I had to just get out. And I didn't want to think about church. I didn't want to think about anything. I just want to go work my job and come home and actually see my kids, you know. And when you, and I left the church plant and I was just like, what? What was this, you know? I mean, it was like, I was like truly ticked off. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying like, I was just ticked. I was just like, what? I came out here to share Jesus with these people and show them this beautiful kingdom. And what happened is they all ran in here and ripped him from my arms. And now I'm sitting here alone. And I was just thinking back at all the faces that had come in and demanded something from me and then headed out. And I felt like Jesus just left with them. And I'm just, are you kidding me? I have no church, like, here within my vicinity to support me or be, a, you know, a brother or sister in Christ to me. And now Jesus is gone? What do I do with this? I didn't know what to do with it, so I was just mad. And, I mean, we tried to go to some churches, and I just ticked. Like, I would just walk in, and I was just like, I don't want any part of this. Not, I didn't hate Jesus or anything. I loved, I loved the Jesus that I had once known, but, man, this period was just, like, utter darkness for me. And I was just like, I'm not real sure what I'm supposed to do to get back to Jesus. And so the reason I share this story with you is because I'm convinced that you either have or will or are going to experience suffering in your life. Like, there's just no doubt in my mind. The question that you must ask yourself is, can your suffering separate you from Jesus and his love? Like, that's the question. I mean, that's the massive question. I could have handled all that other stuff that went on if, if I hadn't felt like Jesus left the building at some point. And you have to ask another question, too, that's, that's like the first one but still different. You have to ask, does this suffering prove that Jesus left beforehand? Like, am I experiencing this because he's gone? Like, that's because really the question is, does Jesus leave? That's the question. And so if you turn to Romans 8, I'm going to just, for a moment, settle on this passage, and my hope is that I can just maybe, in some small way, ingrain in you something I wish someone had been able to ingrain in me years ago, before the church plant, definitely during the church plant, and, and, and even as I'm, I'm about to read this passage, you're going to go, yeah, we know that's true. You know, it's probably up on the thing. You're going, oh, yeah, we know that's true. But there's, like, there's like a depth of your soul that you have to let this enter into. It has to become like a new understanding of how Jesus relates to you before it's really going to be something. Because I know after you read that, I could take it off and I could pass out a quiz and I go, does Jesus ever leave you? And you go, no. Okay, great. But there's really like, you really have to like, I guess you just got to meditate on this or something. It has to reach a point of contemplation in your life that, like, you actually wake up in the morning and you go, okay, I'm going through suffering and this sucks, but I know that Jesus is here with me, okay? So if we read this passage, let's pick up my Bible here, starting at verse 35. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, this is the question we're asking, right? says, shall trouble, and he starts listing off just, you know, these are some examples of things maybe, maybe you might have thought could have separated you from Jesus and his love, right? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Now think about these things in their, concept, in their, in their context. 
Nakedness doesn't mean you took your clothes off and you don't have any clothes on. Nakedness means I'm so poor, the rags I was wearing yesterday are so worn out that it's like I'm naked. I have so little money, I can't buy myself clothes, right? Or famine. That doesn't just mean I don't have enough money to eat. It means there is nothing to eat because there's a famine in the land and there's no food, right? Sword means someone's about to kill you with that sword, right? These, he's not saying, you know, if you happen to experience one of these particular things, know that Jesus doesn't leave you. What he's actually saying here, what Paul is trying to tell us, is whatever suffering that you're going through, you have to internalize and personalize this. Whatever suffering it is that you are experiencing or that you have experienced and maybe you're at this time trying to process or maybe... You're young and you haven't yet experienced suffering. You're going to. And so what he's trying to say is whatever it is that you're suffering through, the question is, can, Jesus, like, can that separate you from Jesus and his love? And he goes a little further, and this is interesting. He doesn't answer the question yet. We're still at the questioning stage. He hasn't answered it. Verse 36 says, as it is written, he's about to quote an Old Testament passage, Psalm 44. It says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, this is actually a much more interesting passage when you read the whole psalm. Israel is basically saying, listen, God, we thought that we were supposed to be like your people and have vineyards and be prosperous and you were going to take care of us. Now we feel like a bunch of helpless sheep lined up ready to be killed. And it goes even farther in, the, in Psalm 44, if you read the whole psalm, it goes on to say, and we've been faithful so that's the point. You know, we read a lot of times in the Old Testament where um, Israel has been faithless and then God judges them and so they have to deal with the judgment, right? This is not that case here, right? Because the fact that you're suffering does not mean you've done anything wrong. It says in there, they say, you know, if we had worshipped the other gods, wouldn't you have seen us? You know, it's not like we could have hidden it from you. They say, we've been totally 100% faithful to you, and we're still going through suffering. That's an interesting thing for Paul to add in here. I think the whole reason he adds it is he says, can your suffering separate you from Jesus? And oh, by the way, you will most definitely suffer. Look back at the Psalms, which are the prayers of God's people. Don't think you're going to escape suffering. You'll experience it. And it's not always a majestic persecution type suffering where you're in jail because you preach the gospel. You know, it, Sometimes it's just because life is really ridiculously hard. Sometimes it's because there's still sin in this world. Sometimes you suffer because this life is still infected by the sin that entered in in the garden. And that's all it is. So the question remains, and he answers this question for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can any of these things? Verse 37, he gives us our answer. No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life... Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the deal. I think whenever we approach our suffering, we have to first ask this question. And we say, is there any chance that Jesus is gone? The answer is absolutely no. And see, here's, here's why this question is so important. Because what, what, how we relate to Jesus after we answer that question for ourselves is going to affect our relationship possibly for years to come with the Lord. 
There are so, especially after having done ministry for a little while now, there are so many people infected by a faulty, false view of how God views them. Because imagine if you, if you considered this question, you said, well, could it separate me from Jesus? And then you answered, yes, it could. He's gone. Then what do you do? You just live without hope. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're without hope. Or if you have a fair weather Jesus that shows up when things are awesome and then all of a sudden he darts and things are horrible, you have no hope. You don't have a little bit of hope. He shows up sometimes. How could you worship a God like that? How could you worship a God that's kind of here and there and everywhere? We don't worship a God like that. We worship a God that cries with us. When you are experiencing a famine, Jesus experiences a famine with you. When you're naked, Jesus is naked with you. When you're in your poverty-stricken state or whatever it is that you're suffering through, Jesus is beside you, suffering with you. And so many times, we're not convinced of this. We feel like Jesus is just way out there. We feel like we're, we're on like a river, and, and we're trying to swim upstream, and he's in like some kind of sort of speedboat or something. You can't even see him anymore, and we're sitting there just paddling and paddling and paddling, and you just like got this canoe, and you're like, oh my gosh, how do, how do I get to Jesus? And you, you pray, and you read your Bible, and you do all this stuff, and you go, I can't seem to do enough to get to where Jesus is. And every day that passes, that you don't do whatever it is you think you need to do, you go, he's even further upstream now, how will I ever reach him? I used to be close to him, now he's gone, I'm never, and you just keep paddling and paddling and paddling, and finally you just throw the paddle, and you're just in anger, and you go, what the heck? And you sit down, and you realize Jesus is in the back of the boat. He's been there the whole time. Can you imagine living with such blinders on that you don't even know your God is with you? If you become convinced that you live in the darkness, you live in the darkness. But if you become convinced of the truth that I just shared with you, it's not just a good idea that we're hoping is true. If you, just, if you become convinced of the fact that Jesus never leaves you, and the truth is sometimes your life is going to suck, like sometimes it's going to be really hard, it's going to be really bad, and things are just going to get really ugly. And the whole time Jesus is just going to wrap his arm around you, and he's going to go, I'm right here. I have not left. Please, Lord, please don't become convinced that I've left, says Jesus. Please don't become convinced I'm right here. And as you, you go into that surgery, I'm going to be right here. As you come out, I'm going to be right here. As you go here and you go there, I'm going to stay right here because we are in this together. And you say, but Jesus, why? Why don't you just do away with this? He, I'm going to. When I return, I'm going to make everything to rights. But right now, we're still infected by sin, and I'm right here. I'm going nowhere. You have to know that we worship the God that doesn't leave you. No matter what you go through, he goes through it with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. And Lord, as we, um, as we drink the cup and we eat the bread, Lord, assemble that you're with us. A symbol that you refused to leave us. You poured out your blood and you broke your body. And then you sent your spirit to dwell with us. Until the blessed day when you return and you wipe the tears from our eyes. So Lord, as we partake in your table, Lord, I pray that you would fill our minds. But more than that, I pray that we'd be convinced and we'd understand the truth that you dwell with us at all times, Lord. 
that there's nowhere else you'd rather be than with your people. You've proved it over and over. We love you. In King Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again to our doors. Go in peace.